Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I wanted to talk about an article I saw on Friday that just really made me stop and and shake my head. We've got all kinds of things going on. Actually, a few positive things. If you saw some of the clips of journalists actually asking relevant questions and pressing government officials with follow-up questions after their baloney answers. So a few green shoots going on as far as the dystopia we've been living in for the last couple of years. But I wanted to talk about this article. It's a little bit off the subject, but the name of it was, No, the U.S. Doesn't Have $30 Trillion in Debt. And I'll post a link to this word blizzard of gibberish for you to uh, read for yourself. But the gist of the article was that although the published number for the federal government's debt is $30 trillion, that it's actually less than that. It's $22 trillion. I don't know if we're supposed to be happy about that. That's just night and day different. It is a third less or so, a little less than a third. But $8 trillion of the $30 trillion cited by debt hawks, as the writer says, is, and you hear this quite often, money the government owes itself. Now, if you employ government logic, of course, there's a way in which this could be true. But what he's talking about is treasury bonds that the government has set aside as part of the trust funds for Social Security and Medicare and other liabilities in the future. And I want to talk about the Social Security trust fund because it's really worse than what the the debt hawks that he's talking about in the article. They're already assuming some things that are not true. And actually, the picture is much worse than what they're saying or what this writer is trying to convince you is the case. So I want to back up and just talk about the Social Security Trust Fund for a minute and how it works. So Back in the 1930s, when they started the program, they realized, especially since FDR had taken the domestic economy off the gold standard, that they couldn't just collect money from people and stockpile cash because over time it was going to lose all its value because of monetary inflation. 
leading to price inflation, making the value of those dollars collected today worth much less in the future, especially, let's say, 40 years in the future. So here's the plan they came up with to overcome the inflation problem. And it's really hard to believe that they didn't know this was a scam at the time. FDR himself, and here's just one more reason why he was the worst president by far and away in U.S. history. He was not a smart man. He was a great demagogue, and he was certainly personable, but there's not a lot of evidence that he was a very smart man. And, and I'm not sure that the so-called brain trust around him they either believe their own baloney or they weren't very smart either. But here's what the plan was. Let's just say the first year they collected $100 million. I don't know exactly what the numbers were. Now they're over a trillion. But let's just say back then they collected $100 million and they had to pay out $50 million to people who already retired. So you'd have $50 million left. What do you do with it? You don't owe it to anybody today, and you can't save it in cash because it's going to lose its value. The plan they came up with is the government would just spend that $50 million, and they would give the Social Security Trust Fund treasury bonds in the amount of $50 million that would earn interest over time, and this interest would make up for the loss in purchasing power of the dollars because of inflation. Now, I just want you to think for a minute, what is a treasury bond? A treasury bond is not an investment the way, let's say, a corporate bond from Chevrolet is. If you buy a corporate bond from Chevrolet, let's say for $10,000, what you're doing, of course, is loaning Chevrolet $10,000, and they're promising to pay you back plus interest. And, And usually the way it works is, the face value of the bond is 10000 and you pay $9,000, let us say, and that extra money is your yield. That's your interest. And you buy it today for $9,000, and in five years, it's worth 10000 and you've earned that $1,000 divided by five years. That's how much you've earned per year. And how does Chevrolet pay you back more money than you loan to it? Well, it takes your $9,000 and it expands its production. It produces more cars or it produces a new kind of car or it does something with your money to produce something it couldn't produce before it borrowed it from you. And with that extra production and those extra sales, it can then make profits enough to not only pay you back your original principal, but some interest and still make a profit on the whole deal itself. And I think everybody understands that's how corporate borrowing would work. And it's the same thing when you buy stock in the company, except you're just buying ownership in the company. But in any case, the dividends they pay on your stock in the company is derived from all the new production that occurred because of your influx of cash. Now let's talk about a treasury bond. The government doesn't make cars. The government doesn't make anything. What's the only source of revenue that the government has? It can either tax people, it can borrow some more money from somebody else, or it can print the money and just inflate the currency, which is what we've been doing at a breakneck speed for the last two years. But in any case, there is no new product. There's no wealth created out there anywhere to pay that money back. So really a treasury bond is really at its heart just a promise to tax somebody in the future. 
And depending on the term of the bond, if it's 10 years, guess who that person is? You. This is really a scam, the scam of all scams, because people are led to believe that if they pay into Social Security, that in some sense, when they go to retire, because they paid into it, they're getting their own money back. No, your money is gone the minute it's withdrawn from your paycheck. It's spent already, gone the same day. And the government just puts a note in there. It's just a promise to tax somebody in the future, including you and others, maybe, to pay that money back to you, plus interest. So what do we call a scheme where the only way to pay present investors is if there's future investors to replace the money plus interest? I think there's an Italian gentleman that we all know from history who ran such a scheme and after whom all such schemes have been named. And of course, I'm talking about Ponzi. It's a Ponzi scheme. And what makes it a particularly insidious scheme is that it leads people to believe that it's not a welfare program, but it is. 100% of the money that I'll get after I'm 67 or 70 or whatever they have the age at when I retire, 100% of the money you'll get or you are getting is coming from present taxpayers. Not a single dime of the money that you paid in over your whole working life is still there. It's all gone. It was all spent the day that the government got it. And really, when you think about them putting a treasury bond in some trust fund, what is a bond? A bond is the written record of a debt. Okay, but the Social Security Act itself is the written record of a debt. So this is just smoke and mirrors. And that's why I say they, they must know that this is a scam. Because without the treasury bonds and the trust fund, they'd still have to pay out the money. The treasury bonds are not, they're not wealth. They're not like a Chevy bond that can go out and be claimed against real wealth. They're just a promise to tax people. And that's all the Social Security Act is. So it's really an evil program. And it fosters this sense in the people who've participated in it. And they don't get a choice, but it fosters this sense that they really are entitled to that money. And there's something more just about it than any other welfare program, and there isn't. So I hope that was a clear explanation of what they're doing. And again, once you realize what they're doing, when the light bulb goes off, most people that I've explained this to in person, they argue for a while, no, 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 that can't be how, you just don't understand the finance of this. And then we walk through it, and at some point they get very angry. <laughs> That's when I tell them, look, there's plenty more to be angry about that the government does when it's bombing people. That's a lot worse than Social Security, but Social Security is pretty evil. And the other thing that I will just say as a side note about Social Security is that it destroys capital and it destroys what could lead to tremendously more economic growth wealth for poor people, all kinds of things. And let me give you an example of that. So what does Social Security demand from your earnings? It wants 7.5% from you, and it wants 7.5% from your employer. Now, first of all, that means that really the whole 15% is coming out of your compensation. Because when you do a business plan, and I've done many of them, you obviously have to figure in that extra 7.5%. And in fact, for what most people call FICA or understand as FICA, to, to put Medicare in there, you actually put an extra 9% 
on top of the wages that you plan to pay for each position. So when you're trying to do projections and see what's the most I can afford for these people that I have to compete for in the labor marketplace, you have to add that on there. So that limits the amount you can pay. If I want to pay someone $100,000, I got to figure $109,000 just for Social Security and Medicare. And then, of course, I've got to put whatever benefits I'm going to pay on top of that as well. And of course, sales are finite. You, you, you have to live into what the revenues you believe you can generate with your business are going to be. So you don't have unlimited funds. You have to start paying people less than you otherwise would because you have to pay for these programs as well. So without Social Security and Medicare, maybe I could pay 109000 for the same employee. And that goes right down the line to the janitor. If I'm paying him $20,000, i have got to put that extra 9% on top of his $20,000, make it, uh, what is that, $1,800, $21,800, okay? This is a cost, and it limits the amount that people can earn, and therefore, it really limits their savings. Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time, and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that? That for over 100 years, prices went down in America even as the economy became more productive? Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power, they can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. On the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, too crazy. In the I'd like you to do a thought experiment where you look at a household as a going concern, like a business, okay? And it generates a certain amount of income and wages. Let's just say the average household, and let's say both people are working, two adults. And they generate $80,000 in wages, okay? And they have all these expenses. They have their rent or mortgage. They have their utilities. They have car payments. They have insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Social Security and Medicare do not allow them to write off all those expenses first, like a business would if it were a registered business. No, the household, it gets taken off their revenue before their expenses, okay? So what can a household save after it pays its income taxes, its payroll taxes, Social Security and Medicare, and then all its expenses, its medical expenses for the working adults, for any children, the car payments, the insurance, 
not very much. What if we could just put 15% of everything they earn back in their pockets as savings, okay? Savings are capital. Savings is where real investment in real economic growth comes from. So if we're taking 15% off the gross revenue of this going concern called the Smith family, just as an example, big oil, they run at about an 8% profit margin. So we're taking twice the profit margin off the top that big oil runs on to make all that money. Grocery store chains, oh my gosh, they're at like 1% to 2% margins. So you can see this is a losing proposition that if those people were allowed to keep their savings, not only would they be better off, but the economy as a whole would have this enormous infusion of capital for investment and growth. Because when you put your money in the bank, now we can get into fractional reserve banking and the fact that that should not be the way we do things, but that is the way we do things right now. So if they're earning interest in a bank account, that's because the bank is investing in economic growth, in new businesses, business loans, et cetera, et cetera. Social Security just takes this huge slice out of the available capital that would be contributed by average and up to about upper middle class households because there is a point at which you stop paying in uh, as far as income levels go. And what else does it do? It also limits capital accumulation among the working class. So over time, and I've said this many times in the 19th century, if you were just a wage earner, just an average working class person who saved a silver dollar every month or whatever over time, that money not only gained value, but you're accumulating capital that you could pass on to your descendants and families could accumulate capital over generations. This is just slicing 15% off the top, twice the profits that big oil makes off the top of what you make every year in your household. It makes it almost impossible for families to accumulate capital over time. And when you circle back to what the government is actually doing with that money, that they are not investing it. Any interest that those bonds occur is just being sucked out of current taxpayers, including you, who's still working and paying in. Then I think the light bulb goes off. This is a very evil program. It's a very economically destructive program. And like the rest of the New Deal, it should be abolished. And again, people think I have an FDR fetish. This guy was really terrible. And they elected this guy four times. So that's how bad the first half of the 20th century was. No wonder we had two big destructive wars. It was just a tsunami of bad ideas. Just to recap, if you go back to episode one, the very first episode of this program, you can listen and learn how FDR destroyed the Constitution by establishing administrative agencies that could write their own laws. So he effectively transferred the legislative power from the elected representatives in Congress to unelected bureaucrats in the executive branch. So every agency you can name to the extent that they write rules and don't just enforce laws by Congress, they're all unconstitutional. And in addition, he gave us Social Security, one of the most economically destructive programs in our economy. This was really a bad guy. And of course, he's always up near the top when you get best presidents. 
my guide is whenever you see historians list of the best and worst presidents, you just read it backwards and it almost reads pretty accurately that way. So FDR should be at the bottom for me. He's the worst. He got us into a huge war and he also destroyed the constitution and our economy. The new deal has never gone away. It's got to be abolished root and branch before you can ever even talk about having a free country again. So uh, I hope this elucidated a little bit. This article that I'll post a link to, it says that, hey, it's not so bad. We don't owe 30 trillion. It's really 22 trillion. Let me tell you something. The unfunded liabilities for Social Security are over 50 trillion. And that's with all kinds of rosy predictions about growth in the future that never come true when the government predicts the future. So it's a disaster. It's never going to last. The only way it could last is they break the deal again. They make the deal worse again. They raise the age, collect more money from you than they said they were going to have to. It's a scam. We should get rid of it. I'm going to have Mayor Glenn Jacobs, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, on Wednesday. Uh, you might also know him as Kane if you're a World Wrestling Federation fan. So that'll be an interesting talk. And let me tell you, he is also a very economically astute person. The first time I ever met him or even heard of him because I wasn't a wrestling fan was at a conference where this very large man was talking about Austrian economics. And I thought... Boy, I've never seen an economist that big before, but turns out he was a professional wrestler that just read a lot of books. So now he's the mayor of a county in Tennessee. We'll talk to him on Wednesday, and I will see you all then. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.